welcome to the Fit for the Future podcast, which helps you navigate this fast-changing world by bringing you ideas, information, interviews, and insights for being fit for the future. Here's your host, Gihan Pereira. Hello, this is Gihan Pereira. I hope you're staying safe and healthy, and I mean this seriously because I'm recording this in July 2020, and uh, of course, the world is still in the grips of this coronavirus pandemic, and uh, it's true in Australia as well that... uh, um, large parts of Australia, like here in Western Australia, where I live, uh, we've pretty much officially eliminated the, the virus from from our community. Uh, the official definition is that if you've got 28 days with no community transmission, in other words, no untraceable cases of coronavirus, then uh, you officially eliminated the virus. And that's true in uh, many parts of Australia. But unfortunately, in Victoria, there's been a flare-up and uh, that's going to possibly have an impact in other parts of Australia as well. So like everybody else, I'm thinking about the people that I know in Victoria, uh, people in Melbourne in lockdown and in other parts of Victoria who must be worried about whether that's going to spread further. And of course, there's the risk that that could spread to other parts of Australia as well. So we're all thinking about our friends and fellow Australians in Victoria, but also understanding that this is not over, not by a long shot. And of course, we're trying to balance this this double crisis as a health crisis, of course, and that should take priority at the moment because there's also an economic crisis, and that economic crisis is very much driven by the health crisis. Uh, in the last few weeks, when I've been dealing with a number of different clients across a number of different industries, uh, I make the point that you may hear people say that we're all in the same boat, but that's not true. We're all in the same storm, but we're in different boats navigating our way through the storm. And if you're a leader, you can't control the storm. And you might be stuck with the boat that you're in and looking around you, everybody in your team, your organization, your community, your family, they're all in their individual boats as well. And it may not be obvious to you what boat they're in. So what you can do is you can influence the way that you lead your people and your organization through that storm. And as a leader, especially as a senior leader, you still have to plan for your organization's future, even in the face of this uncertain, fast-changing world. And in the past couple of months, I've been working with clients and their leadership teams to help them with their planning as we try to come out of this crisis and move towards recovery and then growth. Today, I want to share some ideas with you. Some of the things that I've been sharing with the leaders in organizations, small and large in industries that have uh, all across the range, some who haven't been much affected by the pandemic at all, and others who are still desperately struggling to wonder whether their business in the whole industry is ever going to recover from it. So in one of the strategic facilitation sessions that I was running recently, one of the senior leaders asked me this question, which is quite an insightful question. Um, And he said, what's the biggest mistake that you see executive teams making now? And to me, the answer is easy. So the biggest mistake that I'm seeing now is too much focus on short-term planning. So definitely some of the short-term planning is absolutely required, but as a leader, especially a senior leader, a part of your responsibility is to think about the future as well. And it's a common mistake and particularly common right now to only look at the short-term and not look enough at what's coming in the future, because the things you don't know will hurt you. So when it comes to planning in a crisis and beyond the crisis, most organizations go through three stages, crisis, 
recovery and growth. And this is true not only internally, but it's true externally as well. So if you're thinking about your customers and clients and community, they're also going through these three stages, crisis, recovery and growth. And your success as a leader and uh, for your team and your organization depends on how well you track your planning at each stage. So you may hear people talking about a U curve or a V curve where performance goes down, there's this dramatic uh, dip in performance when there's a crisis and then it bounces back up again. And this is what we're talking about here. So a typical crisis will go through these three phases, crisis, recovery and growth. So let me talk about what happens and what good organizations do, what better organizations do and what the best organizations do as you're looking at those three phases. So the first one is crisis. So when the pandemic first hit, it was a crisis. Everybody moves into survival mode and all your action is reactive and is focused on immediate needs only. You need to just keep your head above water and you forget about planning. Your planning is absent and that's exactly the right thing to do at this time because you need to react to the external circumstances. And after you deal with the immediate impact of the pandemic or whatever the crisis is, and you have time to pause and take a breath, and you possibly realize that your old plan, the plan that you had pre-crisis is no longer relevant. That's okay because now is the time to start replanning. Now, everybody, when the crisis hits, they go into being reactive and that's okay. That's exactly what you need to do. It's what happens after that that separates the good leaders from the better and the best leaders. So the next stage is this, the road to recovery. And this is what's happening externally when your customers, clients and community are starting recovery from a crisis. So you as a leader for your team and your organization, you can now be more responsive rather than reactive. So now, even though you're still operating in a volatile environment, you can start planning and looking ahead. The problem here is it's tempting to focus only on your short-term goals because that's as far ahead as you can see. And unfortunately, that means that you're still at the mercy of what's happening around you. And many leaders and organizations get stuck at this point because they're lurching from month to month with their short-term plans that continually need to be revised or discarded. So it's not sustainable and you're likely to break down eventually if that's all you do. So um, a reasonably good organization will do that though. Uh, as things start to recover, they will start to recover as well. So the third phase is growth. So as you move from recovery to growth, recovery is where you get back to your baseline and then you start thinking about growth. And a good organization will start thinking about growth after they've recovered. The secret is the better organization will be proactive and start thinking about growth even during the uncertainty, so even during recovery. So you plan further into the future, not because you can see it clearly, because you can't, but despite the fact that you can't, you can still do better planning. You can map out multiple external scenarios. You can choose the most plausible path. So you still have your plan A and you design a strategy to follow that path. But at the same time, you're flexible enough to switch to a plan B or a plan C if circumstances change. So the better organizations won't wait till they've fully recovered before they start thinking about growth. So there you go. So you've got crisis, recovery and growth. So the better organizations will start thinking they'll be proactive and think about growth even while they're recovering. The best organizations will go even further and they'll be disruptive. So in any environment, especially where everything's shaken loose, 
there are more opportunities to be disruptive. And disruptive doesn't mean that you have to come in and take over your whole industry by building up a startup company that's going to make everybody else irrelevant. It's not just about disrupting your industry. It might be just disrupting your own organization. And the, the best organizations and the best leaders, as they're coming out of crisis, rather than thinking about recovery first and then growth, they will bypass the recovery step and ask themselves, what if we didn't have to recover? How could we be disruptive? How could we disrupt ourselves at this time? Not everyone's going to do that. You can just be the better organizations that are proactive and start thinking about growth before you come out of recovery. But there's an opportunity now for you to be disruptive and start thinking about changing things up even before you get back to the way things were. So let me give you an example, a practical example, which many people would have experienced when you talk about uh, office workers or knowledge workers who worked in the office, generally in the city, in a CBD building, and they've had to be forced to work from home for the first time. So the crisis where everyone became reactive was that suddenly offices became unsafe workplaces. So everybody moved to this whole working from home for the first time, for many organizations. Some have done it before, but for many, it was the first time that they experienced large parts of their workforce working from home. So that was a crisis. And, and when the crisis first hit, everyone was reactive. How do we manage it? How do we get the infrastructure in place in terms of technology? How do we get HR to manage and create safe workplaces? How do we manage people working from home when they're also looking after kids who are doing their school from home? They've got pets, they've got to create a productive work environment. So during that time, everyone was scrambling to be reactive and to be able to manage that crisis. Now, gradually, as people become accustomed to that and as things opened up and people were able to go back to offices even partially that's the recovery stage and then people were responsive and leaders were looking at how do we get people back into the office safely so that's what i mean by being responsive so there was a short-term uh, plan to think about how do we get people back into the office but it didn't have to be that way so i, I could see some proactive leaders looking ahead and saying we don't want to only think about getting back into the office. What's our workplace of the future going to look like when we're going to have some people working from home, some people working in the office, and it may not be permanent for five days a week for uh, both of those groups. Uh, how are we going to manage that? And then there are the people, the leaders who are being disruptive and saying, well, what if we never had to go back to the office? What if the office wasn't the standard workplace and working from home just happened to be one of the options? What would it mean for the workplace and the workforce if we thought about work not having to have a specific place and especially work not having to have an office. So you could have people working from home, you could have people working from co-working spaces, you could have people working from the regions because people have gone for a sea change or a tree change and you can now draw on talent from there, you could draw on talent globally even when people aren't able to travel and what happens when you've got teams like that. That's a kind of disruptive way of thinking. So we all go through this crisis and recovery and growth process, but not all in the same way. And it is true that due to circumstances, some businesses and some industries were hit harder than others. And many businesses in those industries are still struggling. So in that crisis recovery growth, there are many businesses in certain industries that are still in crisis mode. And if that's you and you're still in crisis or only just starting to think about crawling out into recovery, then 
perhaps the advice I'm about to give is not right for you because you need to first think about survival, not about recovery and growth. So the ideas I'm going to share with you now are really, if you're a leader and you're out of crisis and you're thinking about recovery and growth, the mistake that most organizations make is to wait too long to plan for growth. As I said, the better organizations are proactive and they think about growth even while going through recovery, and the best organizations are disruptive and they think about what could be rather than going back to the way that things were. So I'm going to give you some ideas around that. I'm going to share four ideas with you here. Two of them are around being proactive, so as we're thinking about growth, whether you're in the recovery stage or the growth stage, and the other two are thinking a little bit disruptively. Okay, so the first one is the point that your future customer has different priorities now. Let me take you back five years. In 2015, when I spoke at the Australian Private Hospitals Association conference, I was speaking about some of the technology changes that were affecting healthcare. And one of the things I mentioned was an autonomous robot called Tug. So this is a little robot that can navigate and maneuver itself around a hospital carrying food and equipment to wards. And robotics and that kind of artificial intelligence in technology has been around in aged care and healthcare for a while. In fact, in March this year, when I spoke at the ITAC conference, which is all about innovative technology in aged care, I shared some other examples of robot innovations. There's one called Stevie, which is an interactive robot that you know, sings songs and entertains people in aged care homes. And robots have, yeah, they've been around for a while and they've continued to find their way into healthcare settings, but their take-up has been slow. They're still the exception, not the norm. And even if they're ultimately more efficient and cost-effective, cost there's still some effort in starting to use them. So they're generally seen as a nice-to-have. Then, early in the pandemic, Boston Dynamics announced a new role for their robot dog called Spot. Because of the pandemic, Spot has a new job. It's now become a frontline healthcare worker. So Spot is this robot dog, which uh, built by Boston Dynamics, which was a little bit, you know, it was quite amazing in what it can do, but it was still seen as a little bit of a gimmick. But now it's got a real job. With an, uh, with an iPad and a two-way radio strapped to it, Spot can help a doctor do remote diagnosis and treating of coronavirus patients. And it can do this from a distance because then it keeps the humans safe from in, uh, infection. And this was vital in the early days of the pandemic, especially in the USA, where there's a shortage of protective equipment. So those frontline healthcare workers were really at risk when they were treating coronavirus patients. And before the pandemic, Spot would still have been in the nice to have categories as quirky and possibly useful, but not essential. But now that it's serving a more immediate and urgent need, its role has been elevated from nice to have to need to have. And the same applies to other products and services. So, so many people are looking ahead to returning to normal. And you may have heard the phrase new normal, and uh, it's, it's been used quite a lot and it's been overused now, but it's been used that way because it's true. It's like when you stretch a rubber band and let it go, it doesn't return to exactly the way it was before. And in a similar way, in a post-pandemic world, or in a world that's going through recovery and then later to growth, you'll find that your customers have changed and their preferences have changed. So think about the things that were nice to have that might now have become need to have and vice versa. For example, online ordering. Because of the shutdown, many retail stores had to work frantically to add online ordering, what we used to call e-commerce, to their websites. Now, many customers will still choose that option 
even when physical stores can open again, they want online ordering to be an option. At home services, many restaurants and cafes, because they needed to, started offering takeaway, home delivery, even cooking classes. Now, of course, customers are going to be flocking back to those premises when they can, and they've already started doing that in places that allow it. But some of them will still want those at home services as well. And flexible work is another example, which I talked about uh, earlier, that the employees, especially younger employees, have been asking for more flexible working hours and the ability to work from home well before the pandemic. But employers have been dragging their feet on it, but now they've been forced to do it. And surprise, surprise, they find that actually it can work really well. And the demand for flexible work isn't going to disappear when offices become you know, completely safe workplaces again. So think about your own business, your own industry. What will be a need to have for your customers, for your future customers? And I suggest you ask yourself these three questions. What nice to have products or services have now become need to have or necessary? Uh, what do customers need to have that turned out to be not so necessary after all? And how can you start planning now to get ready for this future? And if you don't know the answers to these questions, ask your customers. Many organizations talk about being customer centric and the best way to do that is to involve your customers more in your business. So that's the first idea, that your future customer has different priorities now. The second one is related to that, and that is that the coronavirus pandemic is going to change some things forever. Let me give an example. So earlier in our response in Australia to the coronavirus pandemic, the government fast-tracked the use of telemedicine. So in other words, doctors and other health professionals doing online consultations rather than meeting patients in person. Now, I predict that telemedicine is going to continue even when in-person consultations become as safe as they were before. And this isn't a difficult prediction to make because for many patients and doctors, it's better. It's not going to completely replace in-person consultations, but now it's an additional option. In fact, patients would have used it years ago. Again, about five years ago, I spoke to doctors at a medical conference in Australia, and I dug up some of my slides and research from that presentation, and I was talking about telemedicine at that time. And I shared some Deloitte research that asked patients whether they were comfortable with online interactions. For example, getting images like x-rays sent to you by email. More than half the patients said yes. Uh, doing video consultations instead of making an appointment, 60%. At choosing a treatment online, based on advice sent to you by medical professionals, about 70%. And then doing consultations by email and SMS, almost three quarters of them. So this was five years ago, and at, at around the same time, PwC asked doctors why they didn't include these kind of services in their practices. And now some of the responses were quite legitimate. So they were worried about privacy and security. Um, they were thinking about the fact that they it, it wasn't built into the billing system. But there were other things that you may think, well, maybe they should adjust to it. Like it would be too difficult to change their current workflow or they didn't know enough about it. So they were just going to put it to the side until they were ready. Now, this isn't this doesn't mean that doctors were wrong to resist telemedicine at the time, even though their patients wanted it. It simply meant that they had other priorities until a pandemic came along. Now, this is just one example where the pandemic has turned priorities on their head and is forced a positive change. And the same could be true in your industry. So think about things that the pandemic may change and may change forever. Here are five other areas, and some of these will be obvious. So one of them is working from home. 
most obvious example, I've already mentioned it, it's affected so many office workers, organizations moved fast to allow their people to work from home and found that it worked pretty well. And the genie's out of the bottle now. The research already shows that most people who experienced it for the first time the last few months wanted to continue. Even after offices open again, we're going to see the demand for more flexible workplace options. Not necessarily full-time working from home, but myriad other alternatives to the nine to five, Monday to Friday, commute to the CBD office routine. Another one, cashless payments. Even before the pandemic, well, Australia was already the sixth most cashless economy in the world. And the experts were predicting that cash would only make up about 2% of payments by 2022, two years from now. And the pandemic has increased our concerns about handling coins and notes, and it's forced many people to use cashless payments for the first time. And that trend is going to continue. Some of those people won't ever revert to cash or will only ever use it as a last resort backup option. Another thing is omni-channel retail. Some businesses were already doing this. They were already delivering omni-channel experience to customers. And that means some combination of physical store, online shopping, click and collect, whatever else was appropriate for the, for the industry. And the pandemic forced many others to come on board, sometimes kicking and screaming, but because they're forced to close their retail presence or they had to compete with online only providers or match existing competitors who are already providing these services, they had to do it. And that gave customers more options. And guess what? Many customers loved it. Another one is supply chain continuity. Many organizations who relied on globalization or just-in-time inventory management and things like artificial intelligence to optimize the supply chain found themselves exposed when the pandemic disrupted their lean, low-friction, finely-tuned processes. For example, in March, early in the pandemic, we in Australia couldn't get enough coronavirus testing swabs because they came from Milan in Italy, which was one of the worst affected areas at the time. So as a result, many organizations with their supply chain disrupted, scrambled to find alternative supplies so they could keep providing their products and services to customers. Now, after the pandemic, they might return to their old supply chain, but they would be wise to have alternative supplies for just in case, not just just in time scenarios. And the last one is a planning one, it's a human one, is planning for massive disruption. So not surprisingly, most leaders weren't expecting a global pandemic when they created their strategic plans at the start of 2020. So they weren't ready for the massive disruption that happened. But the smart leaders have learned their lesson now and they'll consider similar disruptions in the future. Take climate change, for example, which can cause fast, dramatic and unexpected disruptions, such as our recent bushfires. Now, regardless of what you think about climate change, leaders now have to include climate risk in their strategic planning, regardless of their own position on the causes of climate change or the responsibility for themselves or the organisation of their industry to fix it. To be fair, KPMG's annual survey of Australian CEOs at the start of 2020 showed that for the first time, climate change appeared in their top 10 issues. And that's a good start. And living through a pandemic should galvanize other leaders as well, including you, if you haven't thought about massive disruption in the future. So questions to ask yourself, how will the coronavirus permanently change your organization? So ask yourself and your leadership team these three questions. What changes has the pandemic forced us to make? Then, which of these changes should we keep, even if we don't have to, because they offer more options, more alternatives to our customers, staff, and other stakeholders? And what are we doing now that makes us vulnerable to other major disruptions in the future? 
So that's the second big idea I want to share with you, that the coronavirus pandemic has changed some things forever and will never go back to the way things were. Now let me talk about the next two ideas, which are around being disruptive. And let's start with one that is being disrupted. So the third thing is that you might not see some disruption before it's too late. Let's talk about the hospitality industry because the pandemic's had a huge impact on that industry. Many restaurants, pubs and hotels have experienced and are experiencing their worst times ever. But let me give you an example of one hotel that's decided to do something about it. Rather than letting their rooms remain empty, one hotel in Sweden, the Start Hotel, is offering rooms as private dining rooms. So instead of booking a table at a restaurant, with their concerns about social distancing. Parties of from two to people to 12 people can book a room at the hotel. So one of the hotel accommodation rooms. So they book the room, they arrive, they go up to the room, they place an order by phone to the hotel restaurant, the food is delivered to the room, and the customers enjoy a private dining experience for two and a half hours. And of course, this because it's a hotel room, if they want to stay there overnight, they can do that and extend their experience. Now, I've talked about this idea with some organizations I know in the context of a business that's found an innovative use for its unused assets and that makes sense. Here's a hotel with an empty room which is normally used for accommodation. How can they be creative and find another use for it? Why don't we turn it into a dining room? Great idea. But it's also worth considering it from the point of view of another industry, nearby restaurants. Think about a local high-end restaurant just already struggling they suddenly find themselves losing business to a completely unexpected competitor, a, a hotel. And this is not a ruthless competitor who is coming into an industry and sees an opportunity to grab market share. It's just another struggling business with an innovative idea. And this is an example of a random disrupting a business. It's one of the six kinds of disruptive forces that can turn your business upside down. I won't talk about the other five, but uh, but let's look at this one because it can come completely out of the blue. So this idea from the Start Hotel is a random disruptor to local restaurants. Here are three other examples just to give you an idea of the principle. At the height of the pandemic, some gin distilleries switched to making hand sanitizer. And so they were potentially competing with manufacturers of hygiene and cleaning products. A few years ago, there was an insurance company that was offering a 5% discount on Qantas flight bookings. Now, they were offering that as an incentive, as a benefit for getting insurance with them, but they were competing with travel agents who often operate on low margins. Um, I was speaking to one of my clients who was the owner of a commercial building and they were offering free training rooms to their corporate tenants. Again, a great benefit for those tenants, but then they were also competing with businesses that rent out training spaces. So in some cases, like the hotel and the distilleries, these are only temporary in terms of being disruptive because they're filling an urgent need that they will probably diminish as we find our way out of this pandemic crisis. So the risk will go down and the disruptive businesses can ride out that storm, but others might not be so lucky. So could you be disrupted by a random competitor? Here are three questions to ask. Who else could, without too much effort, offer the same product or service that we offer? And then turn around. What other products or services could we offer, without too much effort, that could disrupt some other business? And then, either way, whichever way right it is, how could we approach these other businesses so they could become partners rather than competitors? So that's the third idea, the kind of disruptions that you might not see before they're too late. 
The last idea I want to share with you is to think like a beginner as we're moving on the road to recovery. A few weeks ago, I was working with a leadership team and I was talking with them about expanding their thinking as they set out their new strategic plan. And this is a company where their industry wasn't as badly affected by the pandemic as others. So now they're already turning their attention to their long-term plans. And one of the questions I asked in my presentation was, what do these four companies have in common? Number one, Groupon, which is a coupons and deals provider. Scoupon is the one which is more popular in Australia. A Slack, which is a collaboration tool for workplaces. Uh, Uber, which we know is a rideshare service, among other things. And WhatsApp, the online text and voice messaging app. So Groupon, Slack, Uber, WhatsApp. What do those four companies have in common? I've asked many groups about this over the last few months, and I got a range of responses, such as they're all disruptors, they're all digital companies, none of them own physical assets. They all connect people to each other. I even heard one person say, they're all things that Gen Zs can't live without. Now, this might all be true, but there's one other thing they have in common. They were all founded during the global financial crisis, the GFC. In Australia, we escaped the worst of the GFC, but it hit Europe and North America hard. In fact, in the USA, it's called the Great Recession. So all of these companies not only started, but thrived during that recession and beyond. Now, the reason I'm sharing this is not because I want to motivate you. I'm not going to go, if they can do it in a crisis, you can too. Yeah, that's not my point. In fact, it's the opposite. This pandemic is both a health crisis and an economic crisis. And the economic crisis will be with us for many years. And even if you weren't badly affected, you might still be at risk. So let's go back to those four disruptive companies, Groupon, Slack, Uber, and WhatsApp. You might think it takes a lot of courage to build a disruptive startup company during a major crisis. And it absolutely does take courage to start any company, especially one that's going to disrupt an entire industry. But in some ways, disruption and innovation are easier not harder in a crisis. Now we still see disruption and innovation when things are going well, but it's not as easy. Customers are happy, they don't want to change. Employees are secure in their jobs. Leaders are measured by stock price and tiny bits of extra market share. Innovation is more risky. But when there's a crisis, all bets are off. Customers become desperate. Employees are afraid for their livelihoods. Leaders must step up to keep their businesses alive and innovation becomes essential rather than optional. And that's when a disruptive startup business can thrive. It doesn't have to disrupt an entire industry itself. The crisis has already done that. It's just like it's dangerous to drive with a cracked windscreen because it doesn't take much for it to shatter completely. It's not the first stone that cracks the windscreen. That's the risk. The danger is from the second one, which is likely to shatter it. And in a crisis, when everything is more brittle, it's easier for you to make your mark. Now, that doesn't mean you need to shut up shop and start everything from scratch, but it does mean that you should reevaluate everything that you took for granted in the past. And this is what I meant at the start when I said, be disruptive, not just proactive. Think more like a startup. While established businesses are looking inward to get back to normal, the disruptive businesses are looking outwards to find more opportunities. There's a saying that in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities, but in the expert's mind, there are few. So don't fall into the trap of assuming that tomorrow's world will be the same as yesterday's world. Now, more than ever, approach everything with the beginner's mind. For example, are you selling what customers really want now? 
or have their priorities changed? I've already talked about this. Do you still have the right team for the future? Do you have the right supply chain in place given the way the world has changed? Is your business model even still relevant? Are your internal systems still appropriate for a changed business model? Do you have the right workplace for the future? You might think you know the answers, but don't assume. So that's the fourth idea, to think like a beginner as you're thinking about recovery and growth. I've talked about a lot of things today. Let me quickly summarize those four ideas again. The first is that your future customer has different priorities. The second is that this coronavirus pandemic has changed some things forever. The third is that there are going to be some random disruptors to your business and your industry. And the fourth is to think like a beginner. Just to finish off, I think it's time for us to think the unthinkable. It's not so long ago, the 2nd of March, in fact, where we in Australia recorded our first death from coronavirus. There was a 78-year-old man from Perth who returned to Australia after getting the virus on the Dominion Princess cruise ship. And that might feel like a lifetime ago, but it's really only four months. And in that four months, we've been through a lot. And some of us are seeing that there is some light at the end of the tunnel. And we know that despite our successes, it's too early to declare victory. You definitely don't want to take off your parachute before you reach the ground. And most of the conversations I've had with clients, they're fully aware of that. They know that the pandemic isn't over. But even leaving that aside, I see two other views about the future. And I always tell my clients to consider both options because they lead to two very different outcomes. Let me explain. So option one is that we're on the road to recovery. So for many organizations and many leaders, as we're moving through this recovery and into growth, they see the light at the end of the tunnel. And in the short term, while there's still virus loose in the community, they know that we need to be careful and extra careful. We still need ongoing rules about physical distancing, testing, extra health checks, staggered work hours, travel restrictions, all of those things. And as I said, different industries have been affected in different ways and different parts of Australia have been affected in different ways. So the time frame is going to be different for everybody, but at least they see a return to some kind of normal in the near future. So this is like your computer getting infected with a software virus. It takes some time and effort to eliminate it, but eventually you can turn it off, start it up again, breathe a sigh of relief and get back to work. You've lost some time and money in that process, but at least everything's in quotation marks back to normal now. There's nothing wrong with this view. And for many organizations, many teams, many people, this is what's going to happen. But it's not the only way to think about the future. Option two is to take a slightly different perspective and say we're on a completely different path. What if we never return to the way that things were? Instead of circling back to what was normal, what if this pandemic has created a completely different path for our future? Now that might sound like a crazy far out idea, but think about down to earth pragmatic reality. You may have heard that we're not gonna go back to normal until we have a vaccine that's at least 18 months away, but even 18 months, even if it seems like a long time, it's an optimistic estimate. Most vaccines take 10 to 15 years to develop and some diseases like AIDS still don't have a vaccine. We might be lucky this time, especially with this concentrated global effort and the help of new technologies such as CRISPR for gene editing and artificial intelligence processing, but we can't rely on it. Another example is the return to air travel. International travel won't be safe for us in Australia until the rest of the world has coronavirus under control. You might expect domestic air travel to resume to some level that it was before in a shorter time frame, but definitely don't expect it to be the same as before. 
it's going to have a lot more friction to it, which is going to add cost and time of travel, and it might just become too expensive and difficult for the way we used to travel. So I definitely see in a number of different areas, in many industries, people don't want to return to the way things were. And sometimes it's a choice, at other times it's, it's forced. So I've talked about some of these examples already, but maybe it's time to think the unthinkable. So if you're thinking that things will be back to normal soon, you might be right but it's a limited view that will help you in the short term, but leave you vulnerable to long-term effects. You obviously need to take practical steps to operate and adapt now, so don't throw out this thinking altogether, but also take the opportunity to think the unthinkable. The pandemic has shaken us up in so many ways that we have a real opportunity to take stock and think differently. And as we start thinking about recovery and growth, remember that it might not be the beginning of the end, it just might be the end of the beginning. I hope you enjoyed that and learned something useful and valuable that you can put into practice. If you did get some value from it, please review and rate it at the place where you subscribe to this podcast because that helps promote it to other people as well. Let's chat. If you'd like to have a chat about how we can work together and how I can help you as you're planning and navigating and working your way through this uncertain future, let's have a chat. I have a number of programs that can help you, whether you're talking about uh, in-person or online, and you're looking at teams or senior leaders as you're thinking about this uncertain future. Have a look at gihanperera.com. And if you want to engage with me in other ways and get other great content like this, newsletter, blog, podcast episodes, webinars, again, you can find those resources at gihanperera.com. I hope you stay safe and healthy. Bye for now. For show notes, past episodes, and more, visit gihanperera.com. And remember, great minds don't think alike.